Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome. It's Series 2, Episode 31. Paul of Drive-by Cinema. This is my co-host, Paul. Hello, hello, hello. I am Rick. And this is the podcast where we watch movies so you don't have to. And that (laughs) must serve as our first correction from previous episodes. Because I think in the last episode, which you edited, Paul, so you should have noticed this. I I said that this was the cinema in which we watch movies so you don't have to. Maybe you just thought I was being... Poetic, I don't know, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I thought you were maybe being quite hand-wavy about your use of vocabulary. <laughs> well, it's Nothing it's wrong a, with that. Welcome to the cinema of the mind, where we are going to tell you what Batman is all about. But later, after we have discussed other errors and omissions, Paul. Oh, Christ, no, please, please. Just one week without, without <laughs> making this a correctional facility. <laughs> You mean to say that you think that we can go a week without making any errors or, or omissions? Well, if it's not about, you know, ancient history or medieval history, I think we can, yeah. We should, we should aim. I, I like your ambition. But we're only human, Paul. Yeah. And we don't... This is not... I'm going to say something which is going to amaze you and our audience. This isn't a tightly scripted show. We don't meticulously <laughs> research this. <laughs> scripted out. We just it's a lot of it is well, pretty much. Maybe off that's the cuff. because when I did do that, you used to shame me and say, Oh, somebody's got notes. <laughs> Pull, you note shame me, Richard. Pull, taking notes is not it's not writing a script. It's completely different. It's like, I take notes. I just don't I don't do it on paper. That's the big difference. Paper, isn't it? yeah, we know, we know. I do it. We know Richard. You spend two minutes opening up Google, <laughs> Google Keep. Then you kind of voice type into it, you lip you lip type into it and get, delete the words and then where have I saved it? Have I saved it in the right place? And I mean a piece of paper is easier, Richard. Sure. Modern applications, you don't save files. It's all automatically always saved. That's the beauty of it. Just goes to show you how long it is since you've used one of these. Stop it. Stop it right now. <laughs> Look. Do you have to find your ploppy since, disk? Where is that since, floppy disk gone that I saved all my notes since, <laughs> since I lost the use of my Microsoft Surface Book and its beautiful touch pen, uh-huh. I, I haven't. It used to it used to do handwriting to text, and I did used to use that to record notes on Keep and on Microsoft OneNote, Richard. Don't do that anymore. But anyway, yeah, this is nothing to do with corrections, Richard. Was that your correction? You said cinema instead of instead of podcast. I don't have a correction from last week so much as an omission. Oh, good. What we didn't talk about oh. is a particular directorial. Well, maybe it's certainly in that film, uh, sort of yeah. a stylistic technique that he employed, Aronofsky. Film was Requiem for a Dream for those of us who d- don't remember. Yeah, some of our listeners didn't probably listen to the episode because they didn't want sort of 10 minutes of talking about the war beforehand. So we should not talk about the war beforehand. Cause, Let's not talk about the war. Uh, so, uh, But, you know, if you skip 10 minutes forward, you miss all the blather that me and Paul do. And you can get straight into the movie. Requiem for a Dream. It was Darren Aronofsky's um, story of drug addiction. Mm-hmm. One thing we missed was he, there's a technique he uses for each of the four characters at some point in the film. They wind up with the shot, which is reasonably well used these days, but it's a shot where the camera is stuck on the actor, sort of stuck on their chest usually, and you're seeing a tight yeah. close-up. And as they move around, you know, the background moves with them. And it gives you kind of swimmy, kind of panicky, uh, hysteria feeling of being, you know, in their, in their panic with them. Having a panic attack type thing. You, you, do you know the, yeah. the effect that I'm talking about? I do know the effect, yeah. yeah. So he uses that for each of the four characters just at the point where, you know, they're realising that everything's gone to shit. So there's just a scene for each of them where you're tight up close. In one of them, it might be on... 
I think it might be on here, you know, the younger girl, the girlfriend's back at one point, so you're looking over her shoulder. But it's still, you know, attached to her. The other characters, I think it's generally in their face. I think if you read IMDb and stuff, they refer to that as Snorri Cam. And I don't know why that is. Maybe that's a, you know, a DP that invented it or something. But I've seen that before. And it's it was certainly not invented for this film. I don't think they're claiming that it is. But I've seen it in a movie by the Wachowskis before they did The ah. Matrix. They did... Stop it right now. Slap me right now. <laughs> before they did The Matrix, they did a film I'm really fond of called Bound. Have you seen Bound? Uh, just to interrupt, Richard probably has watched more movies than anybody in the entire non-cinematic universe. I don't think that's, I don't think that's true, Paul. I'm not a f- you are a real movie addict, aren't you? I, I would say if you're addicted to anything, it has to be movies, Richard. Mm. Okay. I think I... That's that's not a criticism or anything. I think there may you be... You just like your movies, don't you? Well, I don't think so. I can go for a long time without seeing a movie. No. Indeed, you know, over the COVID lockdown era, it's the era of the binge-watching TV series, isn't it? No, wait. So, Bound... A film which we may, I guess we could add it to the list, but it's slightly out of the era, our target era usually. But it's about uh, a young sort of gangster's mole. She's living with this gangster guy, this mafia guy, and they have a problem with their plumbing and they get in this plumber. It turns out to be a very foxy lesbian plumber. And she gets off with the this gangster's girlfriend behind his back. They plan- steal his money. I've seen this movie. I never knew what it was called. Bound. It's called Bound. They 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 do steal his money. Is he strapped? Does he does he dry his money up on clotheslines inside the house? And are they mending a car? The lesbian couple. I think there might be a car involved. Yeah, she she is like a, yeah. she's good with her hands. Let's just say that she's a mechanic. <laughs> but yeah, that is a film. Yeah, You're, Bound. They're washing. Who's that by? That's by the Wachowskis. No way! It's what they did before The Matrix. It's a brilliant film. We have to watch that again. I'm very happy to watch Bound. Do you know, there are two movies that I watched maybe 20 years ago. That I, Well, there are three. And I was like, what are they called? I found one. It's called Trust. It's about like a misanthropic guy who, who repairs computers trying to be human with somebody else who's deeply misanthropic. Very 1990. Uh, Trust. Bound was the other one. You've just told me what it is. And there's another one that I can't remember the name of. But yeah, it was, it's one of my three lost movie titles. It's your, your white whale. Your Moby Dick. My white whale. Yeah, one of my three white whales, yeah. Well, I'm glad to have uh, given you the name of that because it, it's Thank a you. very good movie. I really enjoyed it's it. It's really good. Like, because at the time, I think just be, maybe before or after that, all that Brit gangster flickness was like coming of age. Oh, yeah. Like the Guy Ritchie stuff. And this did it so much better. In some ways, yeah. 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 It's very stylishly shot, as you'd imagine, for a Wachowski's movie. And there is this shot where uh, the gangster guy, he has a shot where the camera is on his chest. It's when he realises actually he's been ripped off and he's going to be killed by the mob, basically. Right. And at that point, well, you're right in his face and he's like stumbling around and sitting well. down at his desk. And it's that's one of the first times, and it's quite a bit earlier than Requiem for a Dream. If you think about it, that shot kind of relies on a particular size of camera, right? You need a camera that's yeah, small definitely. enough to be stuck on the front of somebody's... And a certain wide angle to it, maybe. Yeah. And of course, cameras have gone through phases where they would have probably gone to an optimal size for that kind of stuff. And then they have pro- probably got bigger again because there was like an IMAX kind of thing where everything had to be filmed in large format. There was a 3D thing probably as well, wasn't there? And then the digital format happened and digital cameras of that quality were probably pretty big for a bit. So there's probably been yeah. periods where that was easy or harder to do. The thing the thing is that I think we have a connected idea here that in this upcoming Batman movie we're going to talk about, Batman gets a young waitress to kind of strap on an eye camera. Oh yeah, they have cameras in Oh yeah, we should talk about this after the music. So we get a POV, we get a POV kind of moment in the, in the movie here, don't we? You have a correction, do you, Paul? Before we have the music, I do. Yeah, I said at the end the music was terrible. Ah, uh, not because it's bad music, but because it was just too jarring for too long. And I said it was a cacophony. You said no, it's a crescendo. I've actually looked at the meaning of these words, Richard, and no, it was actually a cacophony. 
<laughs> but does it not? That's all. Does it not build to a peak? Is that not the definition of it? It does build to a peak, but not a musical peak. <laughs> no. A, a, a peak of anxiety, at least in me. Is it time for music, Richard? It has to be. Here we go. It is. It's good, Paul, that you get to yeah. get your dictionary off the shelf once in a while. So I'm glad to give you that <laughs> opportunity. Listen, I, w- I want to ask you, imagine, imagine that you are planning to rob a convenience store. Yeah. And you've got yourself a mask, and it's Halloween, so don't worry, no one's going to pay a second look at you. And you go in, That's clever. You go into the convenience store, and you've got a gun in your pocket. You're ready to rob the store. Is it fake or real? The gun doesn't not the doesn't convenience matter. Store. It's realistic enough to convince. Doesn't matter. Does it? You're not going to use it. But go on, yeah, yeah. There is a queue of people in front of you in the convenience store, or waiting to rob it too. No, I think no. they're just going shopping. You know, I think they're buying things. What are you going to do, Paul? Are you going to stand in line and wait? Or are you going to pull your gun out and say, give me the money? You know, like push to the front of the queue kind of thing. Can I just uh, detour slightly? I'm addicted on YouTube at the moment to watching, oh, look what's happened to American cities from people of a particular political persuasion. But I just like the fact they drive around cities and complain about them. And often they're talking about, oh, yeah, and people just walk into the convenience store and walk out, and pe- and the security guards aren't allowed to stop them if the goods are not worth more than $200. What is happening to our United States of America? So I think the first thing to say is that in many countries, I think you could probably could just walk out with the goods these days. Really? Because it doesn't meet the minimum threshold? Yeah, I was at Tesco's, and the guy in front of me, this is during lockdown, so he's wearing a balaclava. Cleverly. And he just, you know, he, he self-checked out maybe 40 quid of the stuff, put it in the bag, didn't pay for it, and just walked out. Of course, the machine is going crazy. It's beeping and whatnot. And and, and, and the staff are not paying attention. They're next, next door, if you go to a Tesco Express, you know, the tills are next to the self-checkout area. And then I have to say, you know, like, he's just walked out without paying. You know, like, that. oh, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I think it is slightly true. They're, like, it's like, Whatever, you know, nothing we can do. It's on CCTV. What would I do uh, if I, you know, it depends if I've, if I've got, you know, a joint venture, if I'm working with somebody else on the, if there's somebody waiting in the car kind of thing. It struck me as odd in the opening sequence of this film that the robber yeah. should just stand politely and wait for the first person in front of them to buy stuff. But then if you think about it, if you're robbing a yeah. shop... You want all of the customers to go through first because they'll be putting money in the cash in the cash register, won't they? Absolutely. Whereas yeah. if you're in a bank, you want to push to the front because they're probably all drawing money out. <laughs> so it's different. Depending which country you're in at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you've got to think about these things if you're going to go robbing. And the movie we're talking about is, of course, the new 2022 Batman, the Batman, the Batman movie. Definite article, Paul. To distinguish yeah. it from the many other Batman films that there have been over the years. Directed by the capable Matt Reeves, who apparently, Richard, you found a little bit out about. Well, I only found out that he... Not to put you on the spot. He also directed Cloverfield, which is... Whoa. Another drive-by cinema episode. Favourite, let's say. Well, you like one of the actors, didn't you? I'm fond. I'm fond of it. But he also produced the other two Cloverfields, is that right? He, yeah, I think he had production credit on that. And also production credits on Tales from the Loop, which we have talked about, but not actually. And I love, okay, I love the stylistics of that. But what's interesting is he picked up the directorial uh, chair, or he took over the directorial chair from Ben Affleck, who took on board this project, took this project on board, what's happening to my lips today, in 2013. Ran with it for years and nothing ever came of it. He dropped it eventually. So he's kind of, you know, he came through it by luck in a certain sort of way. We have to say, for the budget, $180 million, it is quite a lush, luscious production and, di- and directorial effort, isn't it? And, of course, it stars Robert Pattinson, who we've seen in Tenet, and who was really good in Tenet. As Batman, yeah. Is it the Joker this time, or is it somebody else? It's the Riddler. The Riddler! Spoiler alert, the Joker does make a cameo appearance at the very end. No, I didn't know who played the Joker. He's Paul Dano, or Dano? No, Paul Dano plays the oh. Riddler. The Riddler, I'm sorry. 
Excuse me. Uh, Riddler, Joker, same thing. Uh, Paul Dano plays, or Dano plays the Riddler. But he's very boy next door kind of looks, isn't he? He looks like the bassist from R.E.M. But when, like, we don't really see his face at all, do we, until quite some way into the movie, because he's wearing a mask. But we, it, 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 but he reveals his face. My first thought was, wow, it's the bassist from R.E.M. And I thought, no, it's Bill Gates. <laughs> he's got like a... He's got like Bill Gates' ish oh, a receding Bill chin. Gates ish looks. Is that what we're talking about? I don't know if Bill's got a receding chin. Oh, okay. Just Bill has a high hamstosity factor, that's all. <laughs> you called me a rodent when I logged into this call. So I've switched my camera off now. Then you can't I didn't mean it like that, Richard. I meant you were eating furtively. It was not it was not to cast aspersions on your looks or anything like Just because I hold my toast in both hands and look around the room like it's going to be stolen off. You were looking around the room as you're eating, yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know what's going to come and grab it. <laughs> Get it down you as quickly as right. possible. Fair warning to everybody, this movie is actually three hours long. It's two, not two hours 30, not two hours 40. If you if you turn up on time for the trailers and the adverts, you're talking about a whole afternoon. You're talking three and a half hours minimum. If you're going to queue for hot dogs and you know chocolate bars beforehand and get your car out of the car park afterwards, we're talking four and a half hours. And the journey home, it's it's a five it's a five hour shift, isn't it? Really? So they give you a comic. Well, I got a comic. I think you got a comic too, along with it. Yeah, yeah, I did. Really. What is your relationship to Batman, Paul? We were discussing this before the podcast you know came on air formally you know I, I i do want to like batman i certainly as a kid i loved yeah the high camp of the original tv series adam west oh it's just it's just so entertaining you know mm-hmm. and the fact it's american tv means it's what i think was it a 30 minute slot or was it an hour slot i can't remember but in any case it's very consumable because you know once it gets chopped up onto british tv it's over in in half the time it should be. And so it just goes so quickly and so entertaining. I just loved it. Very camp, wasn't it? Very camp. I think yeah. most of the early superhero stuff was done very much that way, like trapped in the comic book kind of idiom, wasn't it? No, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we went through a period in the late 80s where they sort of rebooted the concepts of Batman. I think that happened in the comics too, but I'm sure, like me, you weren't really reading the comics, so you didn't. You weren't aware of that shift in the printed medium. So Gotham being gothic, Batman suddenly became quite gothic. Would that be a fair yeah. summary of what happened? Yeah, and this is the Tim Burton movies that sort of revisualized the Batman universe in that way. But still kind of campy, because Tim Burton is kind of campy. Gothic campiness, isn't he? I think Michael Keaton, I'm not sure which... Is that the Tim Burton yes, movies yes, or not? Yes, yeah. You know, he still delivered those humorous deadpan Batman lines, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he retained... Which are conspicuously absent from this current movie. That There is no camp at all, is there? No, this movie is pretty dark, isn't it? But then so were the Nolan movies, I think. The, the three Christopher Nolan Batman movies, which are really the bar that this movie has to try and beat, I think, aren't they? Uh, uh, maybe you didn't watch them, though. Since you're not a Batman fan, just well, because I, 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 you go on Wikipedia and there's like it says there are three Batman movies. There are only three or four called Batman or the Batman. So I, I was thinking, wait a minute, I've seen so many Batman movies. Which are the Nolans? The Nolan movies start with Batman Begins in 2005, followed by The Dark Knight, right? Followed by Dark Knight Rises. Rises. Yeah. Who did Batman versus Superman? Because I quite like that. That came after the, the Nolans, and that's sort of part of the the DC attempt to generate its own DC, you know, mul- cinematic multiverse kind of thing. Well, I really like Batman Returns by Tim Burton in 1992. However, history and the general public have not been kind to it. It has an approval rating of something like 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, you looked up it on well, Amazon, and it's got an approval rating for people that paid for it of 4.5 <laughs> out of 5. Is that right yet? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, people who have actually had to buy a physical copy of it seem to love it. The nadir of the Batman movies for me was Batman and Robin. It has uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, and it's a mess. It's a freaking mess. (laughs) Arnold made so much money doing so many movies, like, after... 
Terminator was fizzling, Terminator 4 was fizzling out, yeah. He did so, 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 so many, so much stuff, yeah. Maybe before he did Termin- Terminator 4, I can't remember now. Terminator's got so complicated, hasn't it? But, so this one isn't just gothic and dark, it's gritty too, isn't it? It's, you know, it's very much dripping uh, raindrops underneath the steel architecture of new, well, uh, of, of Gotham's subway bridges and that kind of thing i have to say it is just too similar to new york it doesn't feel like gotham anymore well it's grunge isn't it he wrote it oh, yeah he wrote it listening to a lot of nirvana and there's quite a bit of nirvana in the soundtrack i didn't like that i didn't like it either i'm not an enormous nirvana fan i mean i you know i kind of respect them. they have moments i respect them for what they did sure and yeah, that they do have the moments, and uh, you know, I have to say the music is pants. The poetry sometimes is quite good. <laughs> Teen Spirit is very good poetry. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Although some of the music is quite good, but I'm not. Some of the music is good too. It's MTV Unplugged. He kind of invented MTV Unplugged, didn't it, Nirvana? In terms of setting the mood, yeah, I didn't enjoy that bit, and so there was quite a lot that mm. it was rubbing me up the wrong way. I think that's what where I'm going with that. I would say, you know, like compared to where Batman came from. In terms of the action and how Batman succeeds, because he's the most vulnerable of all the superheroes, ah, it well. did feel real. And you got to the point where suspension of disbelief wasn't that necessary. You could see that this was attempted to be a real movie about theoretically potentially real events, yeah, Well, in, in an alternate universe, rather than superpowers, yeah. I mean, this is a common thing to mention about Batman, of course, yeah, but yeah. he is just a bloke in... He's bloke, yeah. With lots of money. With lots of money. Yeah, that's right. Iron Man's the closest to get to. I was going to say, in the Marvel yeah. Universe, it's Iron Man. But Batman, I think, did it first. I'm going to guess. I don't know. I don't know much about my... People start throwing their comics at their radios and, and their... Uh, and, this is it. I'm not, and their listening devices right I'm now. I'm actually a comic book geek. When I was a kid... Getting a comic meant going to McCall's, the newsagents or whatever. Buying Nutty. Or Wizard and Chips. I was Wizard and Chips kid. Oh, oh, Wizard and Chips. I was a Wizard and Chips guy. That's more like the Guardian of comics. And like the Beano is... Dandy was boring, wasn't it? Dandy's like the Daily Express, yeah. Yes, Dandy was boring. Nutty was a bit too today or like, you know, a modern newspaper kind of thing that was a bit too American. But it did Banana Man, didn't it? Nutty. So. so I'd never really seen an American superhero comic until one time, and I'm going to guess, I don't really remember where we got it from, I'm going to guess we must have been like in Manchester City Centre or on holiday somewhere. They were expensive off kids though, weren't they? And I, you know, I saw, the, the I saw these comics of a, of a format that I'd never seen before. They were smaller and with a glossy cover, and I bought a couple of them, and one of them was Batman. Wow. Okay, right. I mean, I already knew who Batman was, obviously, and I'd seen the TV series, and now I'm reading the comic, and I realised that it was kind of important. But I was very disappointed with it. Apart from anything else, I realised, to my great disappointment, that it's only a tiny fragment of a story <laughs> in that in yes. that whole comic. Yeah, unlike Japanese manga, where you get pretty much like a quarter of the movie or an eighth of the movie, you get a good what would be cinematic or televisual 20 minutes of action in a, in a, in a manga installment. Yeah, you don't get much in a, in a in a Western comic, do you? Mostly because the print quality is so high, so they can't include yeah, it, was, it was full colour mostly, I think. That's my recollection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved it, and I loved all the American comic book adverts, like for Sea Monkeys and X-Ray Specs and all of that stuff, you know, and joke well, shops. But it did not make me a comic book fan. It made me think this is a, a complete whiz. Waste and also, money. you know, that's yeah. the first time I'd ever seen that thing. You know, I mean, like, every week I could go into the newsagents and get Wizard and Chips. This was the first time I'd seen American comics. I realised it's like picking up something in a video game and seeing one out of 50, right? And you realise you are never going... I'm never going to read the whole story. It's never going to happen. I could live... 50 lifetimes and not have all of the, the copies of it. <laughs> How frustrating. But I think that's the attraction to, you know, adults coming to, to either serious comics or collecting comics, comics is uh, that there is the idea of completeness, isn't it? That's what they're chasing. Yeah. And obviously nowadays I realise that you can buy, you know, the books, the collected works of these comics. Yeah, is that... 
I think would aficionados be happy with that? They probably wouldn't, would they? They'd feel like like it's cheating or it's not. Quite, well, if, if you're collecting comics enough. as collectibles, yeah, you want the originals, don't you? And put them in a mylar bag and never read them. If you want to read the story, right, yeah. you buy the book. It, there's a word for those, isn't there? I can't remember what they're called. Anthology sort of thing. So I came to comics in adult life through mostly my love of cyberpunk novels. I came through William Gibson, yeah, and therefore somehow to Watchmen. I think on your recommendation, I've gone into that Alan Moore well, stuff. Well, Watchmen which is, is good, special, very you know, but expensive, you know, to buy. If your introduction to comic books is the Watchmen, you you're probably setting yourself up for disappointment, aren't you? <laughs> because a lot of them are not going to meet that standard. There are some very good comics out there, though. And I've got to say, of that Batman comic that I did read, it did give me an insight into Batman that I didn't get from the TV series. Really? Even in that short snatch of a story, you know, he's billed as the world's greatest detective, right? Yeah. Unlike Superman, who just flies around, you know, zapping people with his laser eyes and bending (laughs) about and stuff like that. You know, Batman's actually supposed to be smart. And he's supposed to use his, his intellect and his technology to detect crimes. Hence his adversaries being Riddlers and Jokers. To be honest, most of the movies that we've had have mostly been action movies. They have, yeah. I appreciated in this movie that he's actually a Absolutely, detective. yeah. And the interesting thing about the Riddler villain in this movie is, you know, he's sending out ciphers for people to solve. I love this bit. This is a bit that really piqued my interest. Matt Reeves, the director and writer, has said that he modelled this on the Zodiac Killer. You know, th- this was a real crime, ah. of which there is a good movie, by the way, with Jake Gyllenhaal in it. The Zodiac Killer was famously would send ciphers to the newspaper, I think. And the newspaper would publish them. And... So in some sense, although Batman has departed from where it started, in some sense, in terms of Batman being a detective, this was almost like a return to his original portrayal in, in, in comic form, yeah? Well, I think, just like the movies, not all of the Batman comics necessarily stay true to that idea. You know, right. It's the nature of the comic book as a medium, isn't it? Is that different writers and different artists do different things with the characters all the time. Yeah. And some of them are dark and gothic, and some of them are detective-y, and some of them are big action things. And the same has happened with the movies. When I saw Akira, and I saw it earlier, oh, yeah. I saw it in 90, when it came out in 89, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... It's impossible even now watching it not to be wowed by Akira. It's a great film, yeah. And then I bought, I bought the you know the graphic, the, the graphic novel manga of it. And did did just, it make no sense? Because you had to read it backwards, it, and you didn't realise that. I didn't realise that for a long time, but it was in English, not in Japanese. Yeah. So I, I think it was on the third attempt I started reading it the right way, uh, or the wrong way, if you like. And again, I think what what I realised was that there are two worlds of cartoon and comic, and, and it's East and West, and very rarely do they meet. I think, like, Saturday morning TV, what was it, Battle Force... G-Force. G-Force, there was another one. And Battleship something. They were very similar. One had a monkey in his, as one of the one of the onboard crew. I think that was G-Force. No, you're thinking of Ulysses in the 24th century or something. In any case, essentially, these were essentially Japanese cartoons commissioned by Americans, but, you know, then dubbed into English afterwards. I think, you know, mid-80s cartoons, so much of what we thought was like Hanna-Barbera had actually already been outsourced to Japanese animators. And I think that's when we kind of got a meeting of the two worlds. But still, I think the two worlds, the two comic worlds kind of exist Independently, don't they? Do you know what we haven't done so far, Paul? That starts to talk about, talks about the, the, fucking the movie, plot yeah. of the Batman. That's because I didn't want to. I'm trying to avoid it. I didn't follow it. I'm sorry. Go on. You do the plot in five minutes, Richard. I, I can no more follow it than you can. It, it's a difficult plot. It's complicated. You're better. Like with James Bond, I got lost a little bit in James Bond, but you followed it all, and we're watching that together in the movie. In this one, I have to say, I, it was just too long, and I just just stopped trying to work out what was going on. I don't think that's your fault, Paul. I think it's too much. It's the fault I took two glasses of wine in. <laughs> <laughs> kind of made me drowsy. <laughs> yeah. So It isn't your fault. It's trying to do too much, right, this film. It's, it's uh, trying to be an epic Batman film with plenty of action sequences yeah. and some cool fighting, great set pieces. 
at the same time, it wants to present the Riddler as this uh, devious, riddling adversary who's setting all these uh, clues for Batman. Then there's this rather difficult political intrigue going on in the city of Gotham in which some kind of renewal fund had been set up, but uh, all of the uh, dignitary, civic dignitaries... By Bruce's father, yeah? By Bruce Wayne's That's father. That's right, yeah. But many of the civic dignitaries are corrupt, have got their hands in the pot, as it were, and are double-dealing and backstabbing and uh, stealing from this fund. And the Riddler is now committing his own brand of vigilante justice on them by murdering them one after another. So this, at the very start of the movie, we see the Riddler kill someone quite, you know, in quite an interesting way. There's a lot of interesting filming techniques in this where you're seeing through people's eyes one way or another. Yeah. You mentioned before the, the, the break that there are sequences where we're supposed to be seeing through these um, co- recording contact lenses that that the Batman has bat lenses, as Adam West might have said, and they can you know record what you're seeing during the day, and he he can pop them on a a cradle and download everything and for review. Yeah, you, you see quite a lot of that through people's eyes, and it's really interesting the way they do it because just like your eyes do, you know, you're focused on one thing, but sort of the background is kind of blurry, and you see through binoculars as people are looking at people quite a lot. So there's this interesting idea. And then, of course, there's Gotham itself. This very dark, very rainy. I don't think it stops raining once in the entire movie. I also don't think we see, maybe once or twice we see daylight. Mostly it takes place at night. But it's too realistically modelled on New York. Which is funny because know. it was filmed in Glasgow and Liverpool was and London. You know the bit where he stands at the top of the clock tower, which is supposedly the police station, and then jumps off? Yeah. That's the Liver building. <laughs> <laughs> like when you go to Universal Studios in wherever, Singapore or Japan, or if you go to the real one in America, and you go on the Batman ride, yeah. Like the queue to keep you, it's it's a... I don't know what you call those kind of roller coasters that aren't roller coasters, like a motion sensor ride with, you know, with sort of uh, holographic or 3D visual surrounds. Yeah. And uh, in the massive queue, you kind of like, it's all mocked up as Gotham News. Yeah. And you see the parallels with the New York Post and that kind of thing. But it's, it's not a direct parallel. Yeah. It's, it's very much an exaggeration and a parody of life in New York. Whereas this just feels like, a very rainy version of New York and quite a dark version of New York. And I didn't like that realism. I I felt that I couldn't escape into Batman's world because it was just too real in a certain sort of way. But Gotham was always based on New York, right? I know, but it was always so caricatured that it didn't feel like New York. Sure. And this felt very much like New York, but to the power of New York. Isn't Gotham a word for New York as well, isn't it? Am I making that up? Because didn't New York, wasn't it called New, New Amsterdam at one point? It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll dig into that in the corrections next <laughs> yeah. week. So, so you're right. There's this huge political intrigue that centres around Bruce's father. We only find that out very late, actually. Yeah, at the end. Sorry to jump ahead and plot spoil, but we have to do it. Okay. Uh, Falcone, who's like the crime boss, it turns, it, it transpires. He actually is a puppet master of all the police that are being murdered by, progressively murdered by the Riddler because they are corrupt. He's got them in his palm. And of course, Falcone's henchman, his major henchman is a penguin, yeah, who's running a nightclub. Oz Cobblepot. Cobblepot. Played by... I don't know, played by whom? Colin Farrell. No way. Yeah, that's some heavy makeup. I didn't see that. That was really heavy makeup. (laughs) So we get the sense, Bruce Wayne's dad, Bruce Wayne's dad, you know, this and that. What's it called? The Rejuvenation Fund. Renewal Fund, Paul. Renewal Fund. And he was well in with all the guys, the mayor that's that's got killed, slayed at the beginning of the movie. How did the Riddler kill him, by the way? In his car, was it? No, the very beginning, the, the guy that got killed, it was in his flat in his apartment, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Goes in, and he kills him quite gruesomely, if I remember. In a samurai moment kind of thing, wasn't it? He's very creepy, isn't he, the Riddler? He's, he wears a gimmick mask. Brilliant, yeah. With brilliant. Thick brilliant. spectacles. I love that about, about him. Before he was he revealed himself, 
And then he became like almost like a Manson-esque kind of crazy, yeah. particularly when he gets incarcerated towards the end, you know. Uh, I, but I, I can't... The transition between that unseen and that scene Riddler kind of made sense. What I loved here, as you say, is the fight scenes. When Batman first goes to Falcone's... Nightclub. Uh, henchman, the penguin, when he first heads in there, fights his way through the, the nightclub scene is brilliant. The fight yeah. scene is brilliant. Absolutely. It's amazing. He's got a thumping sort of techno soundtrack and he's just beating these guys up. It's very good. I, I enjoyed good. that a lot. I agree. The fighting was really crunchy and real. Yeah, you could hear bones kind of cracking. It was really good. And also, you see his armor as well because they shoot at him and it's kind of bouncing off. And his, his bat suit is real armour, so you can see he's relying on it, really, to protect himself. But it's in that nightclub that he meets Selina Kyle, who's working as a waitress or a barmaid. He follows her because... Twists her arm to get some information from her, basically. I don't know what handle he has on her, but he, he convinces her to Well, she the, knows the girl that's gone missing that, he's, that he winds up looking for. He'd seen a girl ah, on a video... Right. Uh, she was connected with these crimes, it would seem, and he wants to speak to her. Turns out Selena Kyle is living with her. Um, I, I think he follows her to her home, and he, he observes her leaving her home shortly after arriving, decked out in a sort of black cat suit. Uh-huh. And she goes, I think she goes to try and steal something, doesn't it? Doesn't she? And he, he apprehends right, her. Yeah, yeah. This is Catwoman, of course. Not explicitly presented as Catwoman, though. Is well, this she? is the clever thing that say, I'm they're trying to be gritty and realistic about Batman, aren't they? They're trying to do it, a, yeah, a bit more. So a bit less costume villain, and now it's just a cat burglar, effectively, who's a woman with who, some clothing fetishes, who happens to yeah. like cats, <laughs> uh, and leather, yeah, or or, or PVC. I'm not sure. She's which played one by was. Zoe Kravitz, and she looks knockout in the cat suit. Gotta say. <laughs> So anyway, she goes in wearing the bat, the bat, the bat eye. The yeah, bats, he gives her the bat the contacts. Yeah, the bat lenses. The bat yeah. lens. And so he can see. And through her, we find out that basically it's all the police, including District Attorney Colson, as well as Savage, who I think is the police commissioner. They're all on Falcone's payroll. Yeah. Now we know that Bruce Wayne's dad has been mentioned, mentioned, mentioned. So. I kind of saw it coming that it's going to turn out that his father was compromised by Falcone. And it later turns out that somehow his father, who I, he, he idealizes, has had some sort of relationship with the crime boss and asked the crime boss to do some dirty work for him. He has to put the frighteners on a journalist who is going to release information about his wife. However, Falcone maybe took the brief... <laughs> Uh, for, you know, took the brief from the customer and overinterpreted it and you know, bumped <laughs> off the journalist. And he did it because he knew he'd have something over on Bruce's dad at that, after that point. Yeah. Very clever, really. There's also a subplot about drugs and a drugs bust. They have these drugs in Gotham drops or something you put in your eyes. There yeah. was some kind of fake drug bust that went down and some money changed hands. I did not understand one bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> was it in a warehouse? It was, wasn't it? They said, hey, it's some drop heads. Yeah. As they went to find a, another clue that was left by the Riddler. This movie also works hard to set up the Penguin, who again, is not... He just looks like a crime boss, a, mob bob, a mobster boss, doesn't he? Yeah. Played by Caroline Farrell. I think he's going to be in some kind of TV series, sort of spin-off from this. But this is a three-movie deal that Matt Reeves has got. So Whoa. we can expect perhaps a penguin to crop up also in the future movies, as obvious. It's first week takings. They're doing, it's doing really well. You know, it might get to a billion. I don't think it will do, but it. You know, it's definitely going to make. It's going. He's going to make some coin out of this. So he definitely will continue with them. And as we've already trailed, spoiled even, at the very end when the Riddler is in jail next door in the cell next door, the Joker is there. So we know the Joker is going to make an appearance in the future films as well. Question is how they're going to escape. I waited all the credits for what was quite a disappointing Easter egg. Oh, I didn't stay. I didn't stay. What happened? You're going to have to explain it to me. Nothing. It was just like a trailer for the next movie. Uh, yeah, go on. No, without saying anything about the next movie. But did it? who, who was in it? Set the scene. Just No, it was just the people in the original. Theatre of the Mind. So we've got Batman... Yeah. 
<laughs> I was so disappointed I stopped paying attention. Oh. Literally, everybody everybody who was staying for it kind of sighed, like, oh, God, did we just sit through 20, 23 minutes of credits to, <laughs> to, to, to see that? Was... So, hopefully we're going to get the Catwoman back as well, because there's a bit of a romance going on there between Cat- Catwoman and Yeah, Batman. I mean, the ending played out for about 15 minutes when they're riding around on motorbikes and there was no action left in the movie. Yeah, an extended end that does not need to be. They could have just ridden off the, uh, off on the sun- into the sunset for maybe one or two minutes on the motorbikes. That would have been enough. We get them turning around corners, going over speed bumps, you know, taking a shortcut through an alleyway, and then turning off onto the highway and going their separate ways. Like, literally, they're just riding their motorbikes for minutes, aren't they? <laughs> they're fond of motorbikes. Again, something which I feel is, you know, like writing this movie while you're listening to Nirvana... It feels like something yeah. that Matt Reeves is more into than perhaps anybody else cares or wants yeah. to be. <laughs> I mean, if if the Batmobile was a form of music, it would be Mark Boland, wouldn't it? It would be extravagant. It wouldn't be Nirvana, would it? And so, therefore, the Batmobile doesn't really appear as a Batmobile in this movie, does it? It's just a souped-up kind of big Cadillac, isn't it? It's a big muscle car with a, apparently a rocket engine on the back. But it doesn't look like a Batmobile, does it? It's quite menacing, and it's quite effective. It, but it's not a Batmobile, though, is it? Well, I think, again... Your heart to hearts. Firstly, I'll say two things about this. Firstly, I think he is taking this conception of a, the Batmobile from one of the comic artists for one of the Batman series. Right. I don't think it's without precedent that it's a bit more of a normal-looking, if powerful, muscle car. The second thing to say, though, is... You're doomed to failure, I think, if you're going up against Nolan's uh, vision of the Batmobile, which I think is unbeatably good. Yeah. Maybe you don't remember it, Paul. Have you not seen the Nolan no. Batfil- Bat- Batman films? Yeah, it's called the Tumbler. Oh, yes, I remember the that. Most yeah, yeah. It's like atomic, yeah. nuclear, nuclear fission kind of thing, Brilliant. isn't it? Have we said what happens in the end here? We haven't. Have no, we? I want to come to the... Here's a weakness of the film, Paul, which is the Riddler's grand plan. What is the Riddler's grand plan? Because most of the film is... It's to get rid of orphanages, isn't it? <laughs> most of the film, the Riddler has got quite a sim... <laughs> he goes off on one for about five minutes about being an orphan. I didn't really see the... I didn't see the relevance of any of that. Well, isn't he... Were the corrupt police commissioners eating eating the orphans? Or what's going on here? I don't get that, Richard. That's I guess the Riddler was an orphan and he's got a chip on his shoulder because even though Bruce Wayne lost his... Family, he wouldn't have been in an orphanage or something because he was too rich. I don't, I don't. Right. Know. Okay. But his grand plan. See, so he's batshit crazy. For most of the film, the Riddler's plan is one of revenge and a kind of justice on the corrupt city officials. But at the end of the film, his ultimate plan is to punish is to bomb the entire city. The entire city. And he does this by placing by bombing, seven be- bombs around. The seawall of Gotham. No, yeah. Paul, first of all... I wasn't paying attention. I thought he put them in the underground, no. but the subway, but obviously not. By the seawall. The seawall. Sea okay. Now, Paul, you live on a coastal city. I do. Now, yeah. Imagine yeah. someone bombed the seawall at Blackpool. <laughs> Nothing would Nothing happen. Nothing would happen, that's right. Because seawalls are not, for the most part, they're not like holding back the sea. They're there to prevent overtopping. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Unless your city is actually below sea level. Like Bangladesh. Or, maybe or, some parts or, of Holland. Parts of Amsterdam, Amsterdam yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. Venice maybe has something like that. Maybe We know New Orleans has levees, of course, that, that break occasionally. Yeah. But yeah, it's not typical for a city to actually have the sea lapping up against the wall. <laughs> and it's also not clear that you could blow up a seawall with a bomb in a van next to it. Because they would have to be so thick and big. <laughs> there we go. I, I kind of stopped being critical, or, or you know, take you know, looking at this from a, a critical perspective. At that point, I was literally looking at my clock, at my watch. Uh, for, were, you, were you keen for, to go for, to the toilet? I expect you were probably. I was just, the wider made me drowsy. I was like, oh God, I can't follow this. But that's not the Riddler's only plan. Because the Riddler has organised a flash mob of his fans. We're all going to dress the same <laughs> as he does. And where are they going to go? Well, all of the people in the city of Not to the seawall. Are going to have to flee 
to I don't know why, but for some reason they decided that the the big theatre or venue where the mayor or the mayoral candidate, the, a sort of AOC kind of analogue called Real, she's going to do an address, a presentation in this. I think it's supposed to be like a Madison Square Garden type venue, isn't it? I think she calls it the Garden at one point. I don't know why, but lots of people are going to go there when Gotham starts flooding, when the seawalls are breached. Perhaps it's a, a pre-arranged emergency evacuation point, who knows? And as yeah. all these people go to this venue, all of the Riddler's minions, who all are dressed the same, are all in the, what's it called, the gallery, the lighting gallery of this venue. Yes, yes. They're all hanging on these these high wire lines <laughs> with sniper rifles so that they can, one at a time, sh- shoot people. people in the crowd below. I'm not sure why you would do that. You're already drowning the whole city. Why are you... <laughs> what, why is that sensible? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Look, what do you think about the riddles? Did you enjoy the riddles or not? In this I did movie? enjoy the riddles. Now, normally, I'm I pretty did. good at riddles. And I wasn't very good... You I'm are not, very good, I'm not at very good at getting those. Did you get thumb drive? <laughs> that Hot was spoiler. a great one. That was a great... It's a bit it of a weak one, wasn't it? Really there? good. I really liked how... I thought it was more Joker than Riddle of that one, to be honest. I loved how Alfred was helping solve the cipher. And then Batman showed up and said, yeah, we don't have all the letters yet. Just take out the ones we don't have. Oh, I love that bit. It's like, well, just use the letters that we've got. It spelled out drive. Take out the extraneous details, yeah. Bit of a leap, though, to go from drive to then go to the car. To an address. Yeah, in the basement. And then find the, the thumb drive, as you say. Yeah, very clever. But I like the concept, yeah. I wish the riddles... I wish I could have got the riddles better. URL. That was a great one. URL. URL. It was the one where it was it was, it was was like a, quite a long collection of words, but kind of URL started the sentence, and when you took that off, the rest of it was the actual address. Ah, uh, and he put, that in a, he put that in his bat web browser. That was a nice one. I like that. And it connected to a web page, and they were able to chat with someone. Because he was carrying around this like handy portable computer that just he could just type into, wasn't he? That was when they were interrogating the penguin, and they left him tied up with uh, duct tape around his legs, so he had to waddle around like a penguin afterwards. So, what do you think about the penguin? You know, because normally he's 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 presented as a decrepit, decrepit and compromised character. I think Dan and DeVito did a really good job with rather that, grotesque, but in yeah. a, in a comic sense, yeah. yeah. Grotesquely compromised. Whereas here, he's just seedy, isn't he? Yeah. So a different take on the penguin. Again, it's trying to be realistic, isn't it? And edgy. And th- What you've got here in this film is an emo Batman meets QAnon. <laughs> and some incels, presumably. And Robert Patterson's depiction of Batman, I think, is quite interesting. It's a bit of a different take. Because he is very grungy. He does kind of look like... Zero uh, camp. He does kind of look like a member of Nirvana from time to time. And then... When, not a joke. When he's, not a joke at any moment. When he's t- no, he's not, he's not, doesn't crack jokes generally. When he takes his, uh, his mask off, for the first time in any of the Batman depictions, you can yeah. see that he's got black makeup on, on his eyes, which is why his eyes look black in the black outfit. Normally, that would magically disappear, you know, for most Batman. But now you see that he's wearing black makeup and, of course, it makes him look like a goth, doesn't it? An emo character. How is it revealed that the Riddler knows who Batman is? I don't... I think it's actually only... Just assumed. No, I think he doesn't really know who he is. There's a scene at the very end where the Riddler is in... Near the end, where the Riddler is in the jail cell. Batman goes to visit him. At some point, the Riddler says Bruce Wayne... Bruce Wayne over and over again. I think you're supposed to conclude at that point for a moment that he knows who Batman is. Right. But then, after he said it a few times, and you're starting to think this guy's crazy, he says, he's the one we didn't get, the one we couldn't, you know, he's the one that got away kind of thing. And I think you're supposed to, I think you're supposed to have been tricked into thinking that Riddler knew he was Bruce Wayne, but actually he was just saying the name Bruce Wayne. Ah. And I think Batman was also taken in by that as well for a moment, but then realises... So I think that's a bit... What is he following the clues for? Batman. To find the Riddler, or just to to stop the Riddler bombing the city? Well, he was brought in by Commissioner Gordon, or Captain Gordon, or whatever he is in this movie. Oh, I see. To see the, to the murder site, wasn't he, on the first murder. 
That's right. Presumably the police were stumped, as they usually are, by riddles. They knew that the world's greatest detective would be needed. I really like the uh, the scene where the corrupt police officer is uh, in the church, or is it the city hall? I think it's a church, yeah, because they're having a burial for the guy who's just been killed by the yes. Riddler. Yes, yeah. And, and so they, and then that's an opportune moment for the Riddler to strap this guy up with explosives and make him answer riddles on pain of explosion. I really like yeah, he's that. Got, he's it's got a, really like a good bomb scene. strapped, uh, like locked around his neck. And again, that it. is taken yeah. from a real event that happened. Wow. There was actually a guy who ended up with a, a bomb on his neck, locked up, and wow. was forced to do a number of things. I think it ended up exploding, if I recall. Not the Macarena, hopefully. <laughs> Sorry, not making light of somebody's neck just exploded, or exploded whenever it did. Right, Rich, I, I'm sure we've talked about the plot enough here, haven't we? I think we're done. I think we're done. So we have to okay. give this a score and come to a conclusion. It comes to scores, yeah. Okay. Can I just say, I paid £30.50 for my premium Holy seat. fuck! Yeah. <laughs> I, I paid £9 for two measures of wine, which are the small, the little small bottles, the 125 bottles. Which I paid £4 for my minstrels. I paid £6 for my hot dog. And actually... I actually felt that I got my money's worth with this with this movie, not because it was so long, <laughs> but it is, in a sense, although I never really got into it, I think mostly because of the wine, it's so visually arresting that it does it does become quite immersive, mm. whether or not you like the story or not. That would be my first observation. It is, yeah, it's a treat for the eyes. It's easy. Mm. Overall, it's a good Batman movie, whatever that means. It's entertaining. And yeah, it tries to do a lot with the plot. You don't need all of that. But it's it's nice that it's doing something a bit more intellectual. <laughs> and it makes some nice references to some real true crimes, which I think is cute. I think if you can get over the fact that it's not... Batman isn't the Batman of your memory. If you can go in to watch it in that way, you'll be much more satisfied. Yeah, I wanted to like this... Because I rate Robert Patterson. I think he was good in Tenet. He's, he's good do. in some of yeah. the other stuff. And he wanted to do this. He's a Batman fan. So he was pleased to have got this role. And I think he made it his own. He's, I think he's obviously enjoying himself. I'm not sure that it's better than the Nolan Batmans, honestly. But um, mm. the Nolan Batmans are done. And this is what we've got. I'll tell you something about this film. Mostly when mm. they do Batman... They always have to start with the Batman origin story. In fact, that's true of almost all superhero movies, right? They always have to start with the origin story. You know, Spider-Man starts off as a normal boy, gets bitten by a spider. The Hulk, you know, normal scientist, has a radiation incident, becomes a Hulk. (laughs) We saw it in, uh, you know, Tony Stark... um, in Iron Man, he has to become the Iron Man. What happens to Wonder Woman? Oh, she goes to the Amazon, doesn't she? Well, she's already a goddess, isn't she? Oh, she's a goddess, yeah, because you always go through that. Yeah. You go through that kind of cave and come to her Amazonian world that's a bit like 1982 Clash of the Titans, yeah. yeah. But you sort of have to see her go and become, in, you know, become the hero in the normal world, I suppose. As a kid, I was always fascinated by those bangles she had on her wrist. The magical bangles. Well, they're bulletproof. Which I think she uses yeah. to... She, oh, they're bulletproof. Yeah, she, she never throws she can deflect. them. Can she boomerang with them or not? No, she can throw her circlet on, that she wears on her head. That's right. That's right. I always wanted her to throw her bangles as boomerangs, but it never but her, her normal weapon is her lariat of truth, isn't it? The golden lariat of truth. <laughs> <laughs> She's so feminine in a certain sort of ways, isn't she? Uh, not in the most recent in- invocation. Listen, this Batman yeah. movie does not give us... Of take us through an origin story. We're straight into... Thankfully. Exactly. It's refreshing. Pleasing. It's like now, finally, people understand Batman enough. We don't have to explain how he got here. We can just accept that. And we can get on with him doing Batman stuff. Okay, things I loved about it. I did like the atmospheres of it all. The atmospherics. Um, I love the rain. I love the nightclub. It just felt like a nightclub. Like a really seedy gangster yeah, nightclub. Uh I love the fight scene in the nightclub. Uh, there's lots of things I really liked about it. I adored the motorbikes. Everything about that I liked. Things I didn't like, 
the length. It's a bit too long. Uh, the plot is a little bit too convoluted for its own good. We should just to focus maybe on the riddles and just summarise the backstory that we've got a corrupt police department. We didn't need to have that backstory about Bruce Wayne's father just to make it more emotional. Uh, he's Batman, you know, he can deal with that. I mean, in the story, you know, oh, Bruce, your father was compromised. It kind of hits him for a couple of minutes in the movie and then he's okay again. Well, we know he's Batman. He's not an emotional person, is he? So, so yeah, I didn't like the fact that Gotham felt just like New York rather than a parody or a caricature of New York. Richard. So let's do acting, Paul, then. Yes. What score would you give the acting? I love the Riddler. I, I thought Paul... Dano. What's his name? Paul Dano. Paul yeah. Dano. Paul Dano really carried that well. I love the transition, because like, at the first he's kind of like nin- either ninja or samurai, isn't he? But a bit gimpy. <laughs> creepy. And then I just love the way he becomes completely unhinged and, you know, by the end it's like Charlie Manson just raving to himself in, in like, you know, behind the, uh, behind the reinforced glass of a, of a secure unit. I just love that. I thought, I thought he did that really well. The leads? Good. I thought Catwoman could have just been a little bit more mysterious than she was. But it's grunge Batman, isn't it? So, hey. It was all good. Who played the Penguin, did you say? Colin Farrell. Colin. Wow. <laughs> uh, I thought he was really good as a Penguin. I really liked him as a Penguin, actually. So, all in all, I'm going to give the acting 8.5. You can talk about the male lead if you want to. Robert Pattinson, yeah, he was great. Uh, I think he like I say, I think he's enjoying himself here. So, a different, fresh take on Bruce Wayne. If the Batman, mm-hmm. perhaps, is just the Batman. Let's give it an eight. On to plot. What do you think about the plot? It's got good touches. Sure. It's over busy, it's over fussy. Mm-hmm. And not sure the Riddler's big plan hang, uh, hangs together, really. Yeah, you've really pointed that out for me. <laughs> Thank you for that. But, you know, on the other hand, it, it keeps your interest, uh, mm-hmm. even if maybe it is too much to follow. I'll give this 6.5. Okay, length of plot over much, fiddliness, a bit too fiddly, but I did like the riddles, so in summary, 7. Hmm. Okay, okay. Well, what about special effects and action? <sighs> Wow, which one first? Well, it's the same. It's the same category. We've lumped them all together. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Love the action. Didn't like the long ending where nothing happens for 15 minutes. Swings and roundabouts there. Special effects, I thought, were sensitively fitting to the kind of general ambiance of the movie. I'm going to score it an 8. I'm not so convinced by the motorbikes, but I guess they look pretty good on them. Mm-hmm. The action sequences. The, the one thing I didn't like about the action was in the car chase when yeah. the penguin kind of got away and made everything crash behind him. There's a huge fireball happening. And suddenly a ramp appears <laughs> out of trucks or whatever that the Bat- Batmobile Convenient plot drive up. That was a bit silly, but I loved that most of the fighting was really good. So, I'll give it a seven. Seven. I knew it was going to be a seven. Okay. Uh, uh, overall. Yeah. Uh, in, in summary, great movie. Uh, it is really long, so, you know, take a thermos flask in there with you if you can. Uh, I, I'm really, I'm very much for a cinematic interval to be brought back into British cinemas <laughs> if... Movies are over two hours and 30 minutes, yeah. I want the lady, with you know, tray, with the neck strap, yeah. and the cornettos, a yeah, and the little torch. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I needed a break about two hours in, and, you know, going to smell the toilets is not going to work for me. So, apart from that, overall, it's going to be an eight for me. It's, it's a really good movie. It, you know, it's a really good movie. There's nothing more to be said about it. Rich, how about you? I enjoyed it, yeah. Seven and a half... I only because I I think if I rewatch the Nolan films, I might prefer them. And if you haven't seen them, we uh-huh. maybe should add one at least to our our list. Okay, let me just drop that down. Nolan Batman. All right. Hey, 
The only trouble is, the, the first one is a origin story. <laughs> Richard, last week you gave me two choices. Oh. It was Batman yeah. and the house that Jack I built. You gave me those choices. Anyway. I did, yeah. Uh, so this week we're going to have to watch The House That Jack Built. The House That Jack Built. We're going to have to go back to Lars von Trier of Dogville fame <laughs> and see what else he's done. Now, is this movie depressing like what we just watched in, 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 in Requiem for a, for a Dream? I I think it's less depressing than Requiem for a Dream, but don't expect right. a barrel of laughs. Disturbing. Yes. Oh, it's not disturbing. Lars, well, Lars von Trier is generally regarded as disturbing. Yeah. So you've got that to look forward to. Until then, thank you, Paul. It's ciao for now. Goodbye. Ooh.